Thank you very much. Thank you very much. How's everybody doing this fine Sunday morning? Man, there are some of my favorite people in the whole world in this room today. I'll let you all fight and guess about, you know, as to who that is. But um, welcome to the South Suburban Venue. Like my wife said, that is my lovely wife. My name is Gino Allison, one of the pastors around here. And I just want to welcome any of our, any of our first-time visitors here. So glad to have you with us. Also, welcome to anybody who's listening to us through our podcast or online on our website. You're also welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday mornings in Flossmoor. Well, I'm so glad to have you all here on this Child Dedication Sunday. This is our very first Child Dedication service. We're a young church plant, for those of you who don't know us. We've been at it for about two years now. And we've experienced somewhat of a baby boom over the last several, uh, over the last year. Really. I think we had five babies in the last year. And, uh, and counting, you know. Uh, so we thought it's about time to have a child dedication service. You know, God has really changed my heart regarding children in the last four years. Probably guessing, doing the math, my oldest son is about four. <laughs> so the Lord has really changed my heart toward children. And it's not that I had this mountaintop experience, so the Lord came to me in a dream. He just gave me some kids. He just gave me some children. And uh, the way our family dynamic worked, because of, the, because of our church plant situation, my wife works full-time with the uh, Homer Flossmore Park District, and I work part-time at the church, but I am the primary caretaker for our, ch- our children um, throughout the week, throughout the day. My mom is gracious enough to watch them for me for two days so I can have two full work days for the church. But I am up close and personal with uh, my two boys, and they have softened me so much. I guess you can say they've tenderized me. My sister said I used to be pretty coarse and pretty gruff before my children came along. And what God has showed me by just giving me children and helping me to just cultivate this protective, this fatherly love for these children is that he showed me through that how he views children. And I was reflecting the other day, I said, Lord, if you love me just 10% of how I love my boys, I'm okay. If you just love me with the ounce of the love that I have for these little boys, these precious ones that you've given me, that I would jump in front of a bullet for, that I would jump in front of a train for, if you love me with just an ounce of that love, then I'll be all right. And how many of you know that God loves us so much? He loves your children more than you love them, if you can imagine that. He cares for them more than you can. And God has just showed me that over the last couple of years. And so it's with pleasure that I officiate this child dedication uh, service today. For those of you who've been tracking with us for the uh, better part of this year, January is almost over already, we've been sort of setting as our in, informal model for this year is that we're going to work God's plan this year. We're going to work his plan. We've exhausted our plans. Some of our best thinking has got us in the worst shape of our whole life. So we've abandoned that and we said, Lord, we're going to work your plan this year. We're going to follow what your word says. We're going to seek you for answers. We're going to look into your word for answers. And I can't think of a better way to work God's plan than to raise godly children. Yes, that's right. I'll say that again. I can't think of a better way to work God's plan than to raise God-fearing, God-loving, God-serving children. Amen. There's a misconception about these types of services that I just want to get rid of. A lot of people think that this service is about the children, and it kind of is. But this service is geared toward the parents. Our children can barely decide which cereal they want in the morning. So these babies, these children, 
have a hard time grasping who God is. This service today, I'm talking to the mamas and the papas. I'm talking to the godparents. I'm talking to the grandparents today. I'm charging you with the responsibility that God lays out in his word. Make no mistake, this service, this address, this charge is for the parents today. And I've called this talk this morning, Committing Our Children to the Lord. Committing Our Children to the Lord. Some of you should know that commitment in this culture is a dirty word. Because we Americans, we like our options, right? Commitment causes you to zero in on something in a way that limits your other options. We don't want to limit our options. We want to keep our options open. We want to have a little God, and we want to have a little this, and we want to have a little this, and we want to have a little that. So when we hear commitment, Westerners, we get a little shaky. We get a little nervous. We start looking for the door, right? But what God has called us to do today and forever and always is commit our children to the Lord. And today I just want to lay out a few guidelines, a few qualifications for those of you wishing to dedicate your children to the Lord, those of you wishing to commit your children to the Lord. I'm going to give you three steps. I didn't say three easy steps, did I? Don't mishear this preacher today. Three steps to dedicating and committing your children to the Lord. And if you're willing, after I finish, then we'll have you come up and we'll dedicate your children to the Lord. Some of you are not here to specifically dedicate your children. Some of you are about to have children. Some of you have older children. Trust me, it all applies. We're talking today about committing our children to the Lord. We're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6 today, starting at verse 4. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, there's Bibles on the edges of your rows. We'll also be projecting the words on the screens for you. Before I begin today, let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much. For this church, I thank you so much for these people that you have gathered here today. God, I'm especially thank you, thankful for these children that you've blessed this community of faith with, Lord. I look at these children, and they're so precious, they're so innocent, they're so trusting, Lord, and you give us children to steward, to coach them through life, Lord, and we need your guidance today. We need your direction today. We need your input. We need your say-so on the matter this morning. Lord, I just pray that you would put power on these words this morning that you've given me to speak, that you would move me out of the way, and that your truth and the clarity of your word would shine through. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. So we're in Deuteronomy, starting in chapter 6, looking at, start, I'm sorry, starting at verse 4. And just to give you some t- context, the previous chapter is where the Lord had given Moses the Ten Commandments for the children of Israel. The Lord had given to Moses the Ten Commandments to give them to God's people, to instruct them, to give them general guidelines as to how to live their life. He presented them with this, and we pick up in the following chapter, chapter 6, starting at verse 4. Moses says this. This is God speaking through Moses. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, this is pretty straightforward. We can read this passage without very little context. and We could get the gist of what he's talking about. 
This is pretty straightforward. And he says, listen, this is what you need to do. You need to fear the Lord, commit Fear the Lord, commit yourselves wholeheartedly to him. Now, in that passage, which I want to walk through today, I'm going to give you three qualifications for what it means to commit our children to the Lord. Like I said, this is, this is, this is not easy steps. These aren't easy steps. It's extremely difficult to do. It's extremely hard to do. But guess what? It's not complicated. How many of you know there's a difference between something being hard and something being complicated? Something being hard is it's difficult. It takes effort. It takes work. It's going to cost you something. It's going to tax you a little bit to do. Persistence in it is going to cost you something, right? That's hard. Complicated means there's all kinds of ins and outs. The Lord is kind of like hiding secrets and then sort of giving you something and taking it back, making it complicated. It's not complicated. God's word isn't complicated. Raising children isn't complicated, but it's the hardest thing you will ever do in your entire life. John's got three of them. He's saying amen today. It's the hardest thing you ever do. So let me just give you the three quick steps. Step number one, God says, commit yourself first. So we want to skip to the part where we're taking our children to church and we're frustrated because we can't get them to love the Lord. We can't get them to behave. We can't get them to do right. The Lord says, let's pause, hit the brakes for a second. I want you first. You commit yourself to me first. Start with you. It starts with the parents. It starts with the godparents. It starts with the grandparents. Verse 4 says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commandments that I'm giving you today. The Lord says, listen. He says, listen. He says, love the Lord. Commit yourself. How many of you know you can't forward anything you don't already have? Try forwarding an email that you don't already have. Try giving somebody anything that you don't first possess yourself. So the Lord commands us to start at square one, to give yourselves to the Lord first. A charge to the parents. A charge to the parents. And this charge comes directly from the very first commandment. You think there's any significance to the first commandment that God gives his children? The first commandment, as we see in the previous chapter, starting in verse 7, you must love, I'm sorry, you must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or any image of anything in heaven or on earth or under the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, am your God. I'm a jealous God who will not tolerate your affections for any other God. Listen to this part. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third, fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. The Lord deals with us in the very first way, his very first commandment is don't have any other gods but me. Don't serve anybody but me. Commit yourself to me. And in so doing, he attacks the root of every ounce of sin in the world and in our lives, and that's idolatry. The sin of idolatry. So when we think about idolatry, we think about some statue that you're bowing to and you're worshiping with this shrine in some private closet of your house. That's not what I'm talking about today. Idolatry, as God sees it, is simply having anything but God in that number one spot. I'll say that again. Idolatry is simply having anything but God in that number one spot in your life. You can have the Lord at a very close second. And it completely throws your life out of whack because that's not how he designed this to be. Because that number one thing is going to determine how you spend your money, how you spend your time, how you treat people. 
and especially how you raise your children. That very number one thing will determine the whole list of priorities in your life, and the Lord understands that. And because of that, he says, listen, don't put anything before me. If you don't want to sabotage your life, if you don't want to sabotage your kid's future, put me first. Deal with the idols in your life. And he lists the implications. He says, your sin or your idolatry, it affects more than just you. The Lord says, listen, the sins of your, your sins will affect your whole family. You choose to have something other than God at that very first spot. Listen, it'll affect the whole family. And some of you can just think right now how the sins of your fathers or your grandfathers has drastically affected your life. Some of you, your lives have been almost derailed because of the things that have had nothing to do with you. That you didn't sin, you didn't mess up, but your father made some decisions. Your mother made some bad decisions. And you're still feeling the effects of that. The way you were socialized, you've passed that on to your children. They'll pass that on to their children. So this whole idolatry, this whole sin issue, this whole issue of having something other than God at the number one spot is so detrimental to not only our personal lives, but how we raise our children in generations and generations to come, which is why God screams at us. He says, stop, wait, commit yourselves to me first. Put me first. Put me first. And God essentially says, listen, if you believe who I, who I, I am, who I say I am, then put me first. If you've really bought into this thing we call Christianity, this thing we call following Jesus, then show me by putting me first. In other words, the Lord is saying, fear me. The Lord is saying, fear me. And that fear is an odd word for us because we think trembling and being scared and not knowing if we're about to get attacked or whatever. That's not what I'm talking about when I say fear. I mean reverence. I mean the deepest measure of respect that you could possibly have. Understanding that the Lord is great, he's mighty, he can do whatever he wants. That's what I mean when I say fear the Lord. And you're gonna have a hard time walking this faith thing out. You're gonna have a hard time staying in the path that God has planned for you if you don't fear him. If you think God is just an accessory for you. If you think it's something that you can appeal to when you need some advice or when you have a tummy ache. God said, no, fear me. Fear me. And don't stop there. Teach your children to fear me. You see, my, my kids, one, my kids, two, my kids, three and four. How on earth am I going to teach my two-year-old to fear the Lord? I got the answer for you. It's a secret. I'm not going to even charge you for this. You teach them to fear you first. How do I get my kids to fear the Lord? You teach them to fear you first. I'm not talking about the type of fear that they don't know if you're going to hug them or hit them when you approach them. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the image of God that your children will see and respect long before they understand who God is. Long before they can hear God's voice. Long before they could perceive the circumstantial signs or the ways that God speaks, they will relate and look at you. And one of the most common failures that we make as parents is we don't teach our children to fear us, to respect us, to listen to us. Let me tell you, it's a much easier jump from your parents fearing you and relating to you, and then when they get old enough to make that jump to fearing the Lord. So what we want them to do is have no respect for us, 
no fear for us, no reverence for us, but then we want them to magically in their teenage years be able to relate to a God they can't see. We want them to be able to relate to a God that, we, that they can't really perceive. That's a huge jump. Now, God has to work a miracle, right? He has to drop the tablets in their bedroom now because we failed to go on an appropriate measure of fear and respect. Let me tell you something. I feared Gene and Rhonda Allison. Still quake a little bit today, just at the mention of their names. Because they didn't play around, man. Showered us with love. Showered us with encouragement. I mean, because that's a big part of it, too. They were likable people. It helps when you're a likable parent. But Big Gene didn't play around, man. I did not want to deal with him. And my teachers knew exactly what to say to me to get me to straighten up. I remember Miss Reeves, my high school English teacher, she said, don't make me call the reverend <laughs> in front of the class and everybody else. What she was saying is, listen, these kids' parents don't care. But the reverend gave me his number personally. You know what? Whatever I was doing, man. Because my parents were not uh, uh, above coming and straightening me out right in that school. My parents had a rule, wherever you did something at, that's where you got it at. I've gotten whippings on the side of the road, man. You, that's not a joke. I just remember him pulling the station wagon over on a busy street. It happened in the car, and I mean, the people, I mean, back in the day, you could do that. All right? But I didn't mess around. I didn't want to deal with my dad when I was messing up. I didn't want to deal with him because I feared him. We weren't friends growing up. My dad was my best man in my wedding. We were, we, were, we were dear friends until he went to meet the Lord last year. But I wasn't, me and my dad weren't friends. He made that clear. I'm not your friend, buddy. I'm your father. And you don't speak to me that way. You don't speak to your mother that way. Get your feet off that table. Boy, when I call you the first time, you better be in here. I fear the Lord. I fear the Lord. So when I became a man and I had to relate to God, I said, man, this, man, this, God is better than my earthly father. My earthly father is pretty good. Okay. But I, I, that was, that was a bit, that was an easy jump for me to make. I think about my two boys, four and Eli will be one in a few days. At 10 months, those little guys let me know that they knew what no meant. You know, seven, eight months, I test them, no, and no response. But at that 10th month, both of them, their head kind of, they let me know that they knew what I was talking about. And from then on, it's been game on. <laughs> Eli's just one year old. This kid is sharp, too. I call him. The first command we work on is the come here command. All right? Come here. Once I know you understand that, you're on the hook for it, buddy. And this one-year-old, I can see him making a decision. Now, is it worth going to get that toy or going to dad. He's, he's processing this. And he's got this real meaty thigh. And if he doesn't come the first or second time, I just give him a tap on the thigh. And that for a month or so, the boy comes when I call. He's, one, he's not even one year old yet. What am I talking about? I'm talking about teaching them to fear and respect me. Teaching them to respond to my voice. That's the biggest part. I want you to respond to my voice. Boy, I don't have time to, tell, to explain to you everything. I want you to come when I call you. Because if a truck is coming and you're in the street, I don't have time to give you a five-minute explanation of how that's going to end. 
well, get out of the street because, you know, that truck is bigger than you and it's going 70 miles an hour. No, come here. We can talk about it later. I'm teaching them to fear me, respect me, so that they can fear the Lord. But I first have to commit myself to the Lord. I first have to commit myself to the Lord to know God and to fear him. And for those of you who grew up in homes where your parents feared the Lord, you can close your eyes and you can even make a short list of the benefits that you had because your parents feared the Lord. You can point to this thing and that thing and say, you know what, my life is, I'm better off than some people around me because they feared the Lord. You know, I didn't like it at the time. I didn't care for the rules at the time. I didn't care for the boundaries at the time. But in my adult life, I appreciate the fact that they feared the Lord. Some of you can close your eyes, those of you who didn't have parents that feared the Lord. Those of you who had parents who were whimsical and reckless, you really see how that's hurt you in your adult life. And you can probably even trace the effects to the, to the children that you parent at this very time. So I'm stressing you to the importance of the very first step is to commit yourself first. Step two is to teach them. Step two is to teach them. And teaching doesn't just mean getting up talking and saying a lot of stuff. We parents sometimes, we get so interested in hearing our own voice, our own lecturing speeches, that we forget that we're not teaching, we're just talking. And we have a few teachers in the room, and teachers know that teaching means you keep explaining it a different way, keep presenting it a different way until they get it. Until they get it. A few months ago, we started... um, really leaning into Joseph on his numbers and his letters. And when we got to the number eight, he was having a real difficult time with eight. I'm just thinking, this is an eight, man. It's two circles. That's eight. Say eight. What is this number, Joe? And you go, oh, one. I say, okay, we got to do something. Me saying it's two circles is not going to get it. I said, Joe, look, look it's, like, it's like a snowman. It's like a snowman. And it was like, eight looks like a snowman. Eight looks like a snowman. So that's our chant. So when I show him an eight, he might break out in song and just eight looks like a snowman. Eight looks like I'm like man, why did I think of that before? But I had to evolve my my my, my teaching. That's what it means. Teach them. Verse seven says, "Repeat them again and again." These are God's commands. These are His precepts. These are His this, these are His truths. Repeat them again and again to your children. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Man, that's a lot of talking. That's a lot of teaching. Repeat. Talk. When you're at home, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. You notice that's all the stuff you do at home? You're getting up at home. You're going to bed at home. This is a day. This is an all-day thing. You're teaching them. I think God is calling us as Christian parents to desegment our lives. To desegment our lives. Some of us, once we walk outside of church, we're done. Some of you, your kids don't recognize you when you walk in church. You get the scowl on your face, blankety blankety. You walk in church, hey. How you doing? So I'm blessed. Highly favored. And your kids like, who is this woman? This woman come from? Where's my mama? This segment of our lives, man, we want to talk about this stuff. We want to be the same person in every room of our house, the same person in every room of our life. I love the passage in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Some of you have heard it. Train up a child in every way that he should go, 
And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go. Teach the child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, this is probably the one of the most um, misunderstood passages in the Bible. Some of us, when we read this, we read it as a promise rather than a, 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 a proverb that's generally true. And we take it to mean if I teach my kids right, if I raise them as Christians, then they will never defect. They will never walk away. They will never sin. They will never walk away from the faith. And nothing could be further from the truth. Because we've misunderstood this passage, we've internalized the fact that if our kids become complete bums, then somehow we messed up. If our kids walk away from the Lord, or if our kids hit a rough patch in life, oh my goodness, I must have dropped the ball somewhere. I must have failed them somewhere. God must be devastated with how I've done read my, ch- my children. But here's a more accurate rendering of that passage. When you train your children in the way of the Lord, they will always have it with them. They will always have it with them. They may not spend it. They may not activate it. But they will always have it with them. When you give them the tools to be successful is what the Lord is saying. Give them something to come back to should they stray. They'll always have it with them. The best example of this is the story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter, I believe it's 15, the prodigal or the lost son. Some of you heard this story. I'll just give you the short version. This this young man uh, has a brother. His father's very wealthy. He goes to his father, devout Jewish father, and says, listen, dad, I want my inheritance right now. Um, You take it too long to die, basically, and I want my money up front. Now, in his Jewish culture, basically, he would have been saying to his father, this is a huge, I mean, a huge offense to his father. Basically, he's saying that I wish you were dead because I want my inheritance. So the father graciously gives him his inheritance. And what does the guy do? He goes out, he spends it lavishly. He wasted on women and drinking and all sorts of righteous living. And guess what? He comes really quickly to the end of his bankroll. So much so that he finds himself working a menial job serving pigs, which for a, Jewish, for a Jewish person is the lowest, worst thing you could possibly do is be handling pigs. And one of the things the scripture says, this guy has an epiphany, and the scripture says, he finally came to himself, the old King James says, when he came to himself, when he came to his senses. What does that mean? He reached down into that word, the truth, the instruction, the fear of the Lord that was instilled in him when he was at home. Right? The boy was acting a fool. He was making a mess of his life. He was at rock bottom. But because something was deposited on the inside of him, when he came to himself, he had something to access. He had something to go back to. He said, man, my father would gladly have me as a servant. He looked at what he was doing, and he looked at the word that the, the, his father had put him. He said, man, I'm going to make a mess of myself. I'm making a fool of myself. But there's an alternative. I'm going to go back to what was put on me. I'm going to go back to that training, that teaching, and that instruction that my parents so gracefully gave me when I was a boy. He came to himself. If you want to raise godly children, if you're interested in committing them to the Lord, you've got to teach them. You got to talk about it. You got to read stories to them. You got to, you know, filter out what they're watching and what they're listening to. You got to check up on them. They had to teach them. Otherwise, they will not know. But don't stop there. As we move to our third step, you have to show them. You have to show them. You have to walk this out. You have to put legs on this stuff and you have to walk it out in front of them. 
To some of us, we just do too much talking. We stop at the talking part. We know all the scriptures. We know all the Bible verses. We know all the illustrations. But we don't walk it out in front of our children. And if we do, it's sporadic. It's choppy. They got to figure out what to cut and what to keep. They got to figure out which you they need to latch on to. And the Lord says, show them. Verse 8 says, tie them on, on your hands. Excuse me. And wear them on your forehead as a reminder. Write them on your doorpost of your house and on your gates. Write what? The word of the Lord. His commandments. His restrictions. His encouragements. Write them on everything that you're going to see as you go about your life. So that your walk is something that somebody would want to follow. Show them. Tie it on your hands. Using your hands every day. Oh, my goodness. Don't put anything before the Lord. Oh, no, I can't, I can't give me adultery. I can't, you know, I can't lie. Man, everything I see every day as I'm walking out my life, because guess what? Those little eyes, they see everything. They see everything. My kids are like tape recorders. I said, man, I'm glad we listen to Christian music in this house. I'd be repeating anything. So you don't forget, because talk is cheap, man. Talk is cheap. And there are thousands and thousands of kids leaving the church, mass exodus, at the point when they don't have to go to church anymore, when they go to college, and they don't have to go to church anymore, they're leaving the church in droves. You know what? They can't reconcile what they've been told by what they see. They can't make sense of what they've been taught in contrast to what they see every day. And let me tell you something. If your life is the reason that your children walk away from the faith, you're going to have to give an account for that. You probably expected this to be a a lighter sermon today. But I come to to challenge you this morning. There's a lot at stake. And I would say to you today, if your life is the reason that your children walk away from the faith, the Lord says, woe unto you, Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, and anyone who welcomes a little child like this, and Jesus had put a child on his lap, like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusted me to fall into sin, it will be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. This is Jesus. Jesus says, if your life your actions, if your deeds are the cause for one of these little ones to fall away, woe unto you. What a word picture we get. We get a millstone, this huge rock, tied around our necks and thrown overboard. What do you think is going to happen? That's a bad situation. The Lord says, this is what happens if you're the cause. And oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes, It's what they see at home. It's what they hear at home. The confusion that comes from the the duplicity and the segmentation of the lives of their parents that is just unreconcilable at the end of the day. And the Lord challenges us to not just tell them, but to show them, to walk it out. And just as an aside, I think another part of the showing them is just we need to keep it real with our kids. And by keep it real with the kids, I mean, listen, you need to give them some stories for your life. You need to tell them about the the, the potholes that you fell into, the silly things that you did, 
the decisions that you made that cost you greatly. The old saying goes that a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. And I'll add to that that a good parent discloses their mistakes to their children in appropriate ways at appropriate times. You don't need to tell the three-year-old about the foggy windows in the back seat. It's waited about 12 more years for that story. But they need to understand that you're not a robot, you're not a superhero, that you've made some mistakes. This is one thing that my father taught me. He says, you know, he taught me that if I rub my life against the grain of God's plan for it, that I'll pick up splinters in the end. If I rub my life that God gave me against God's plan, if I go in the opposite direction, what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to pick up splinters. You misuse your body, you use your body in an inappropriate way, you will pick up splinters. STDs, unwanted pregnancy, things like that. You've rubbed your life against the grain of God's plan and you've picked up splinters. If you rub your life against the grain of God's relational plan for human beings, you will pick up splinters, broken relationships, divorces, etc. And my father taught me Sunday, if you don't use your life for what God planned for you to use your life for, you will pick up, pick up splinters. And he illustrated that point with the splinters that he himself had picked up. He'd say to me, son, my options are limited as a man, as a husband, and as a father because I didn't go to school. Your life is harder, son, and I'm sorry because I chose to run the streets. He says, son, choices that I've made, substances that I've ingested have shaved years from my life. Shaved years from my life. That's a splinter that I picked up. That's a splinter, son, that I hope you never pick up. So decisions that I have, I have made, I had three uh, half-sisters, said the decisions that I made in my life have made life very difficult, very painful for your adult sisters, for your half-sisters. I squandered that portion of my life, squandered my relationship with them. Things are broken and irreparable because of the decisions that I made, the choices that I made, the splinters that I picked up. He said, son, that doesn't have to be your story. That doesn't have to be your story. He says, my testimony, son, is that God saved me from a lot of stuff. My prayer for you, boy, is that God would keep you from some things. And I tell you, the splinters that he revealed to me about the mistakes that he'd made, the places he'd fallen down in his own life, have served me well throughout my life. Have served me well. Show them with your life. So God says, commit yourself, teach them, show them. Those are the three steps. So what's the big picture? How do we put this all together? Many of you want so badly to be great parents. You want so badly to be good parents. You want so badly to do this right, but you just don't know how. How do I do this? Where do I start? You're asking this morning, how do I get there? Parenting is a huge job. How do I accomplish it well? What's the secret? You know what separates the successful people from the failures? You know what separates the great people from mediocre people? You know what separates the overachievers from the underachievers? It's a little something that a colleague of mine calls dailiness. Dailiness. 
Dailiness simply means routine, not in the mundane, humdrum, unintentional sort of way. It just means it speaks of something that's done daily. If you want to work on your relationship with God, you practice dailiness. You get up and you read your word. You get up and you pray. And guess what? You do it again tomorrow. And you do it again the next day. If you want to repair a, a marriage that's in disrepair, you want to right the wrongs that you've done, guess what? You have dinner together. You speak to one another. You forgive. You go to sleep and you wake up and you do that all over again for the rest of your life. And when it comes to parenting, if you want to be a good parent, you want to commit your children to the Lord, you want to raise them in the way of the Lord, guess what? It'll take nothing other than dailiness. Dailiness. Committing yourself daily to the Lord. Teaching them daily. Talking about the things of the Lord. Telling them stories over and over. And you just go to sleep and you do it again. Showing them daily. Walking it out every day. We don't ever get to punch out. We don't ever get to go on vacation. Once you had those little suckers, they're yours. Dailiness. We have to discipline them daily. Don't skid them when you're mad or when your boss, you know, shorted you on your paycheck. Every single day, you discipline them. You throw your arms around them and say, I love you. I'm so glad I had you. I'm so proud of you. I'm rooting for you. I'm, I'm, I'm championing you. I, I can't wait for you to succeed. I can't wait for you to run circles around me. Every single day, dailiness. Dailiness. And some of you, you look up and say, man, I'm really doing poorly as a parent. But you could probably track the breaks that you've taken. The times you've punched out, the times you took a vacation, the times you were just too tired to do any of those things that we named. And the only way to keep things tight, I'm not talking about being perfect, is dailiness. Because this is what each of you are charged to do. This is what each of you are charged to do as parents, as godparents, as grandparents, before all of these people, and before the audience of our Lord. You're charged to commit yourselves first, to fear the Lord, to be wise, to be fully committed and brought in. It doesn't work any other way. It doesn't work any other way. You're charged to teach them, which means you have to have it first yourself. Give them something to come back to should they stray. And lastly, you have to show them. You have to walk it out. You have to show them with instances and splinters from your very own life. Now, if you're willing to do this, then you can dedicate your children this morning. If you're not, it's okay. Just stay in your seat. But I'm not going to have you repeat anything after me, those of you who are coming up. If you want to do this, then come up. So those of you who are, um, are dedicating your children today and those that are standing with you, would you please just make your way up quickly? Now. <laughs> Go. Give these beautiful babies a hand as they come. Yeah, this is awesome. So you can just stand in groups. This is how this is going to work. So just spread out here, up, up, just spread out here. 
Leave some space between the families here. Um, here's how this is going to work. Um, I'm just going to speak a few words. I, I sent out an email to all the families, and I just asked them to give a few words, a few details about uh, their, ch- their, their child. I'm just going to kind of go through that. And I, I've been praying over these kids all week, and I believe the Lord has given me some uh, words to speak to them as, as it means to encourage not just them but their parents as well. We're going to lay hands on all these kids, and then we're going to worship. We're going to party afterwards, okay? So we're going to start with Catalina Venus Cooper over here. Um, her mom says that Catalina is an energetic two-year-old. She loves to hang out with her older sister, and she loves eating cheese and crackers and watching Peppa Pig. She prays every night for her friends and family. And uh, we just want to bless her. The Lord just gave me a few words for this young lady. Um, the, I just saw the word faith. The Lord said that she's going to have buckets and buckets of faith. She also will challenge you if you don't walk the talk. She will have that type of personality. And I think she will be a person who will question things. Things don't make sense. She wants to question things. And the just little pat answers that get kids to go away, those won't satisfy her. Because the Lord has put in her heart the desire to be a fixer. Not in the meddling way, but in the solution-oriented way. She will see broken things and she'll want to fix them. She wants to know why the homeless man is homeless. Why don't we just bring him in the house, you know? Because she will want to fix things. And God put that in her and he's calling you guys to cultivate that and bring that out in her, okay? So, Catalina. Um, Ian, Ian Baptiste Arsenault, standing with his parents, Jordan and Nikki and Debbie Erickson and Lynn Arsenault, are what uh, Nikki called her prayer warriors for her children. Ian is six, month, huh? oh, Ian is six months old, and his, name's, his name means God is gracious, and they certainly feel that God has been gracious by bringing him into their lives. I just, uh, I just got the little man. He just looks, even since he was a baby, he just had an older face to me. He looks like a little man to me. And I just see wisdom. That God will just shower him with wisdom. He'll have wisdom beyond his, uh, his age, his years. And his peers will be people who will come to him for wisdom. I, I also see him as a person who will like to collect information because he just wants to be in the know. He wants to know what's going on. I also see him as a, being a uniter. God will use him to be a bridge person. I see him moving in and out of different socioeconomic groups, different racial groups. God has called him to be a uh, uniter and also a lamp on the stand. This kid's going to shine bright for the Lord. And I charge you all, as you stand with him, to make that happen. Amen? Amen. Moving right along. (laughs) Moving right along. Emily Price. Emily Jane Price. Um, uh, her, her, uh, her father, Roosevelt, and Lauren are here. Also, her grandma- grandparents, Renee and James, are here as well as Ella. Um, Emily's five months old. She loves her brother and sister, and she loves to laugh at all the silly things that they do. She also loves to sit up and be in her walker so she can explore the, her surroundings. And I just got a few words for Emily. Uh, Roosevelt, this girl, uh, I just felt she, like she's going to be your shadow. I heard specifically the Lord said, um, don't lose her. I don't mean like don't leave her in the supermarket. I'm not talking about that. I mean that there might be some circumstances with your other children or other cares in life where there presents a possibility where she may, be get, may get lost in the shuffle. And I just want the, the Lord wants you to be keenly aware that you don't lose her in the shuffle of your life because I think that would be detrimental to her. I also heard specifically that she will marry someone just like you. 
So all those things that you don't like about yourself, all those things on your personal to-do list, you better get working on that, man, because she will marry somebody just like you. And that's, that's, a, that's, that's an encouragement as well as a challenge. Uh, Lauren, I, I, just help, I, I just feel strongly that she will credit you for how she turns out, good or bad. <laughs> she will either say, man, my, look at me, I, my mom did this. Or she will say, my, mom, my mama did this to me. Um, I just feel that, and it, to, to encourage you all to, to really uh, to shepherd this little one, because she's very, very precious. Andrew Thomas Kudimat, uh, with his parents Mark and Denise. Uh, Andrew was born on December 12th. His name Andrew means courageous. We chose the name Andrew because it's our prayer that he will courageously follow the Lord throughout his life. That's what his parents had to say. And I feel strongly that that whole courageous thing is his destination, and it's not necessarily his starting point. I feel like you guys will have to be responsible for cultivating that and calling that out in him. I feel like Satan has a real plan to inundate his life with everything that's the antonym of courage. Fear, shame, identity issues, and God is challenging you to cultivate that courageousness. God will use his biracialness to build bridges, and to be instrumental in extending the kingdom. And Satan also wants to use that to give him all sorts of complexes and issues, and you have to be careful about that. The Lord says the words that you speak to him are very, very important. Every word is significant, and he wants you to be mindful. It's a strong word to both of you. that the, I feel like the Lord is saying that you need to abandon your defaults. You can't raise him out of your defaults because some of your background is, is broken, such that if you paid it forward, it would have similar results. And the Lord says it's going to take will and volition and awareness, but he doesn't want you to raise him from your defaults. And he says, if you choose to do that, if you're faithful in that, you will be tremendously blessed, and so will he. Okay? Andrew. Now, I know these two boys. <laughs> these are my boys standing with my, my wife, Shannon. My mother-in-law, uh, Krista, and my father-in-law, John. My mother is uh, in the family business as well, so she's uh, at, at her church right now. So she wishes that she could be here. But first, my, my main man, Joseph. You can say that, buddy. <laughs> my man, the, the, this is my first boy, and the Lord has taught me so much through him. Um, man, he's sharp. He, he's witty. He's sensitive. He's caring. And the Lord has really tenderized my heart through this young man, and my prayer for him is that he would just run circles around me, that he would far surpass anything that I would do and, and endeavor to do, and that he would grow up to love the Lord with all of his heart and all of his mind and all of his strength. And what the Lord told me to do is to get out of his way. <laughs> so you will ruin that boy if you're trying to shape him into what you want to do. The Lord told me, get out of the way. You're a steward. You're a coach. You're a cheerleader. You're a cheerleader. You probably tried picturing me in a cheerleader's outfit, but he says, you are a cheerleader. And that was the word that the Lord spoke to me. I love these boys. And Eli, Eli Eugene, this boy's middle name is my first name and my father's name. And he's, I mean, he's a strong boy. He seemed very fearless. Stop, man. He's violent, too. It's just fear. He's, he's, he's fearless. He will just crawl right off the bed. He will just crawl right off the bed. And I, the Lord is going to use that fearlessness to just do wonderful things. 
my little man. I'm so, I'm so grateful for these guys. And what I do today with these boys and with all these people standing up here, these, they've walked up here, so they agree to commit themselves. They agree to teach their children, and they agree to show them with a life that is lived following the Lord. So what we want to do is we want to cement this commitment with prayer. So a few of you, just if, if, uh, some of our leaders, if you can just come up and just we'll just lay hands on these kids. We, we, can we just stand and I'll lead us in prayer as we dedicate these children to the Lord. So just lay your hands on these kids. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the gift of children. I thank you, Lord, that these kids are a gift from you. You've hand-delivered them to us. Lord, you said their success or their failure would depend largely on our willingness to do what you've called us to do, to put our money where our mouth is, to commit ourselves to your principles, your law, your statutes, your truth, to teach these children 24-7, to teach them your word, to teach them your will, to teach them how you lived your life. And more than that, Lord, you've called us to show them with our life, to walk out this faith step by step, with the discipline of dailiness every single day of our life. Lord, we ask that you would protect them from the evil one, the evil one who is really disappointed at this display right now, really furious that these children are getting this type of start. And Lord, I just ask that you would protect them from the evil one. We cancel the, pl the plans of the enemy, Lord. We assign your protection and your blessing over their life. And I just pray, Lord, that from this day forward, these children will learn to walk and to follow you. Give the parents the strength and the courage, Lord, if they've made some mistakes, if they're currently doing some things that are not in line with your word. I just pray, Lord, that through your wisdom and through your providence and through your, your wisdom, Lord, you would just instruct them in the way they should go. We thank you, Lord, in advance for the generations that will be brought forth through these children, generations that love, serve, and honor you. We thank you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 Give him a hand, please. Yeah.